Well, today is going to be a little bit different. I'll explain why these guys are sitting up on the stage with me here in a second. Um, but I feel like I need to explain why my hair is the way that it is before I start preaching. Um, for those of you that have been around a while, I, I actually have a really nice, beautiful head of hair. Um, but I don't today. And the reason I don't, I just, this has nothing to do with anything. I'm just sharing my life with you so you know I'm not going through a midlife crisis. This is why I'm doing this. But <clears throat> I help coach my son's football team, which is uh, the Veritas Defenders. They're a six-man private school team, and we're in the, the TAPS Division II <clears throat> state thing. And, and I've coached them for a while. And at the beginning of the season, the kids said that they wanted, if they made it to the playoffs, they wanted to get mohawks. And they said, Coach Carter, would you get a mohawk with us? And I said, absolutely not. And, um, and they, they begged me and they begged me. So what I told them that I would do is if they made it to state and didn't just make it to state, but if they won the state championship, then I would let them on the night they won the state championship give me a mohawk. Well, I got a picture for you. Um, we won the state championship. And, um, and I mean, it was, it was just like Friday Night Lights. It was awesome. It was the greatest experience of my life. But we had not won that game 30 seconds, and those suckers were already like, we get to cut, uh, cut Coach Carter's hair, and they were all fired up about it. So that night, I got a mohawk. I thought about actually bringing the picture of me with a mohawk. I look ridiculous. But yesterday, I got it all blended in, and uh, I let my scruff grow out, so I'm kind of going through a bad boy phase here. Y'all just deal with me. <coughs> but now I, I got to preach, and so here we go. So um, today is a little different than normal. <clears throat> Normally, we sing, and again, I'll explain just a second while these guys are up here. But normally we sing um, for a couple reasons in our church. I don't know if you've noticed, but we always sing when we come here. Have you ever wondered why we do that? <clears throat> well, we do it for a couple of reasons. One is God's worthy of our singing. <clears throat> it's all through the scripture. God is alive. He's on his throne. And so one of the things that we do is we worship him. He's God. He made us. He saved us. And so we're going to worship him for that. Another thing we do is we sing and we worship because we want to prepare our hearts to hear the word of God. Ephesians talks about it, that, that, that singing helps us be filled with the spirit and it allows us believers to, to hear better and to receive better the word of God. That's why we sing before the sermon. But I don't know if you've ever also noticed we sing after the sermon and we pray and then we sing after the sermon. We don't just do that to fill time. Before the announcements and the offering, we do that for a very specific reason, and that we want to give you an opportunity to respond back to God um, for what He's spoken to you, for what He's done in your heart as you've heard the Word of God. We don't want you to just, you know, receive the Word and then go on with your life. We want you to respond to Him. And a lot of times over the years, I've heard people say, Well, Matt, when I come to church, I want to be fed. I've heard that a lot, and that's a good thing. You should be. You should want to be fed by the word of God, but you, there also should be an interaction between you and God in the worship experience where not only you're receiving from him during this time, but also there's a time where you respond and you bless and you give back to him. <clears throat> there's a beautiful picture of this. And if you go ahead and turn there, Psalms uh, 63. I love, this is one of my favorite Psalms in the book of Psalms. The Psalm of David, he's in the desert in the wilderness of Judah. And he, and he speaks to God, and there's this beautiful interaction between the Lord and David. And it's just a beautiful picture of what worship ought to look like. But in verse one, he says, Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. Now again, he's in the desert. Think about this. He's like, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. 
my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so this is such a beautiful picture of this interaction between God and, and David, and it gets better. But I want you to notice the first thing that happens in this interaction of worship. <clears throat> What's the very first thing that King David does as he begins this process of worship? What's the first thing he does? The first thing he does is not pick up a heart, strike a chord, and start singing to God. That's not the first step in David's worship experience. The first thing he does is he comes before the Lord with a desperate heart. He comes before the Lord in, in desperation to God. That's kind of step one before he ever starts singing or doing anything. He says, God, I am earnestly seeking you. Lord, my soul thirst for you. I'm in a dry and weary land and I'm not necessarily thirsting just for water, God, but more than anything, I'm thirsting for you. My flesh faints for you, God. That's step one. He comes before the Lord and he cries out with a heart of desperation and anticipation for God to show up. And let me just ask you, I mean, I'm not trying to shame you here and make you feel bad, but did you do that when you came in here? When when you came in here and, and you sat down in your chair, is the first thing you did was think, okay, who's leading worship today? Who's preaching today? Hey, where are we going to lunch after this? How long is it going to last? Am I going to make it to the football game or whatever that's happening on the television at noon? Or, or is the first thing that you did come and sit down and put your head in your hands and say, God, I want more than anything for you to show up right now in my life. God, I'm, I'm earnestly seeking you right now God, I'm desperate for you, Lord. My my soul thirsts for you. That ought to be step one. Now watch what happens next. Look at verse two. David says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory. David comes before God in desperation for him, and then he looks upon the Lord, and he beholds God's glory, and he beholds God's power. Okay, so there's that, that he's in the presence of the Lord. Then now, what does he do? What does he do now? What does he do after he has, he's come before God in desperation and said, God, I need you to show up. My life's falling apart. I desperately need you. And then he beholds the glory and he beholds the power of God. What does he do? Does he just say, hey, thank you, God, for showing up. Thank you for letting me see your glory and power. Now I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go eat lunch. You know, that's not what he does. Watch what he does. <clears throat> Look at verse one again. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. What does he do now? Verse three, it's a beautiful verse. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. Love that. Dude's in a desert And he says, God, it's hitting me right now as I've seen your glory and I've seen your power because your love for me is better than life. Watch what he says. He says, my lips will praise you. The guy's in the desert. He's hungering for the Lord. He sees his glory. He sees his power. And there is a response. He responds. He says, God, I'm gonna praise your name right here, right now. And he goes on. He says, so I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Church, that's a picture of what worship ought to look like for us. It starts with anticipation. It starts with desperation. It goes from there where we behold the Lord. And then after we behold the Lord, we respond to the Lord with outstretched arms and lifted voices. And so that's what we're going to do. 
<coughs> with the rest of our time today and next week and then Christmas Eve, Aaron and I and the band, we're just going to lead you guys through um, the names of Jesus from Isaiah 9-6. I'll tell you more about that in a second, but we're going to do it a little different than normal. Normally, I would stand up and preach, and these guys would lead us in a response. But what we're going to do is they're going to stay on the stage. And I'm going to talk about one name of God, and then we're just going to stop right then and there, and we're going to respond, just like David. We're going to stop in the middle of the sermon. We're going to stand up, and we're going to sing. <clears throat> Next week, we may pray, but we're just going to sing together. And, um, and first service went really well. Now, there's campuses meeting all over the city of Austin, and we're just going to invite them to be a part of this with us. Um, Aaron, they're not, those worship leaders aren't going to come up and lead. Aaron's just going to lead all of our campuses at the same time over video, which might be a little goofy at first, but the thing that's cool is that we're a church, we're one church over multiple campuses, and we never, ever get to sing the same song at the same time, responding to God at the same time. We're about to get to do that. So that's why these guys are uh, going to stay up here. And so <clears throat> I want to tell you kind of what made me think about this. I was actually, I was at work the other day, and I was looking at Twitter before I went home. And I saw a, a tweet by John Piper, Dr. John Piper, and I want to read this tweet to you. And I'll show you the tweet there. And a lot of times you just scroll through Twitter, you don't pay much attention, but this one got my attention. He said, ponder his names. Think about his names. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And he says, each is worth a lifetime of meditation. <clears throat> and when you first read that, you think... Maybe that's an exaggeration that you could just take a name of God and you could think about it for a lifetime. Well, it's not an exaggeration. I think that's what heaven is going to be. It's going to be an eternity of God revealing himself to us. But I thought I'd put it to the test. And so turned off the radio on the way home. And all I did on the way home is just think about the names of God. And it was amazing. And they come from a, a verse in the Bible, Isaiah 9, 6. You want to turn there quickly with me? Isaiah 9, 6, this is Isaiah speaking. It's a prophecy of, um, of the coming Messiah, Jesus. Uh, this is hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Here it is. <coughs> Isaiah says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is Isaiah speaking about Jesus and he says, these will be the names of the coming Christ. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're gonna look at two today. But before we do, I want you to understand something about, about names, especially in the scripture. In modern society, in America today, names don't mean a ton. They don't mean a lot. When, when people name their children stuff in the 21st century, a lot of times those specific names don't have a lot of meaning. Most of the time people today will name a child either based off of whatever name is popular at the time or it, it may be most, um, they'll name a, a child after a grandparent or somebody that's important in, in their family. But there's not a ton of underlying meaning to how we name our children. As a matter of fact, I read an article a couple of months ago about how some of the fastest growing baby names in the United States of America come from the TV show Game of Thrones. Did you know that? <clears throat> That's like the, some of the fastest growing names in the United States come from the Game of Thrones. <clears throat> and uh, that's about how deep, deeply Americans are thinking about what they name their offspring. 
And by the way, let me just say this to you folks that aren't married yet. Don't name your kid after a character in the Game of Thrones, all right? I want you to think for two seconds about it because about seven, eight years from now, they're going to ask you, Mommy, why is my name Daenerys? And you're going to have to look at them because, daughter, I named you after a character in a show full of gratuitous sex and violence. There you go. Don't watch it. Okay? And if you have, like if you're here and you named your kid that and they ask you, just lie to them. God will forgive you. He will. I promise. All right. But back in the biblical times, names had a meaning. They always meant something. <coughs> they meant something. And they, they, it always was meant to reveal something about a person's character or what this person meant to their parents or whatever. And so when Isaiah is talking about the names of Jesus, every single one of the names have a very distinct meaning. Every one of the names is meant to reveal something to you about the character of God. It's meant to reveal something to you about who, who Jesus is and what he does and what he's about. And so we learn a ton about God and we learn a ton about Christ <coughs> through these names. So let's look quickly at two today and we'll be done. That's a really long introduction for a short sermon. So let's look at two, we'll be done. The first name of, of Christ that I want to talk about is actually the second name of Jesus that Isaiah uh, talks about here in Isaiah 9, 6. So let's look at, look at it again. <coughs> Isaiah says, for... To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And so he starts off and says, there's a baby that's going to be born. This Messiah, this, this Savior, this, this person that's going to come and redeem the people of Israel, <coughs> he's going to be born. And then he goes on and he, and he says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And, um, and everything so far wouldn't have freaked anybody out. All that's saying is that he's going to come and establish a kingdom. The Jewish people were looking forward to that. They knew, they, they were excited about the fact there's going to be a guy that's going to be born and he's going to come save the people and restore the kingdom to Israel. So everything's cool up to that point. <coughs> everything's pretty normal. But then he says, here's going to be his names. And again, these names reveal the character of Christ. And he shall be named, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. And when he gets to that second one, that would have been a bomb for everybody. They're like, What? So this baby's going to be born, I get that. He's going to establish the kingdom, I get that. He's a wonderful counselor, cool, that sounds neat. Mighty God, you say what? What does that mean? His name is going to be Mighty God? I want you to think about that for just a second because the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, being Mighty God is probably, more than anything, what distinguishes Christianity from every other major religion in the history of the world. The fact that our Messiah, our Savior, his name is Mighty God. Because pretty much every major religion in the history of mankind <coughs> has, a, has a couple of central themes to them that they're pretty much there in all of them. One, you, you have a central figure, some man that, that comes along that says he, he has a new path to God, and so he's this person, the central figure of the religion that points us to God or reveals God to mankind in some way or a lot of religions have a set of rules they have a set of, of practices or principles that every person has to accomplish in order to please God or work their way to God or achieve enlightenment or become godlike themselves okay so I want you to I want to read this one more time and I want you to listen to the identity of the person 
that is going to come to us and save us and redeem us and point us to God. Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. See, Isaiah is saying, there's going to be a baby that's going to be born. But this baby that's going to be born is going to be unlike any baby that's ever been born in the history of the world because this baby, this baby that's going to be born unto us is going to grow up and he's going to save us and he's going to redeem us and he's going to point us to God. But this baby, unlike any other baby in the history of the world that's going to point us to God, is God. It is God. It's God himself. God himself is going to come to earth and show us who he is. Paul talks about it. He talks about this unbelievable, unique, amazing reality in Colossians 2, 9. Don't turn there, just listen. Paul says, for in him, that's talking about Jesus, for in Jesus, all the fullness of deity, that's God, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Paul is talking about the fact that Jesus is fully man and he's fully God. All the fullness of, of God dwell in the, the person of Jesus Christ. Um, John the disciple talked about this in the very first sentence of his gospel. In John chapter 1 verse 1, John writes about Jesus, calls him the word. And he says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. All things were made through Jesus. <clears throat> and without Jesus, without him, not, was not anything made that was made. You see the claim of the scripture? Was Jesus a good man? Yes, Jesus was a great man. He was the best man. Was, was Jesus um, a good teacher? Yes, Jesus was an unbelievable teacher. He was an amazing teacher. Was Jesus a moral man? Yes, he, he never sinned. He was all those things. But what, what the scripture is saying and what the Bible claims over and over and over and over and over again is that Jesus is infinitely more than just a man. The claim of the scripture is that this man, Jesus, was in fact almighty God in the flesh. <clears throat> Listen, every other religion in the history of the world is, is the story of man introducing us to God. Christianity is the story of God coming to man and introducing us to himself. Christianity, every other religion, every other religion in the world is, is man um, having an, a, an attempt to, to move heaven and earth so that they can find God. Christianity is the reality that God moved heaven and earth to find us. So the name of Jesus, this, this name of Jesus, what it means is that, it means that Christmas is not a holiday. It's not just a holiday where we celebrate the birth of a great man that kind of falls into the category of Gandhi or Martin Luther King. That's not what this name means. What this name means 
is that we are to be reminded that Christmas is a time where we stand in awe. Where we respond in worship to the greatest truth in the history of the world, which is that a baby was born to us and his name and his character and his identity is almighty God. Greatest truth that's ever been told. So let's stand together right now. And we're gonna sing. (coughs) Maybe it's been a while since you've thought about that God came to us. That we're not left here to try to figure this thing out on our own and strive real hard and work real hard and be good enough and maybe make it to God, but God left heaven and he came to us. Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth came to us, found us, God did. Let's worship and respond to the Lord for that. Oh Lord my God when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displays so we see then sings my soul my savior God to thee how great thou art yes how great thou next part in awe that he would do this that he would come to us and take our cross and take our sin and our burden and our baggage with hands lifted let's sing this when I think and when I think that God is son not sparing sent him to die oh I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing will he bled and died to take Thou 
Let's look at one more name together. Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Of all the names of Jesus <coughs> this week that I've been meditating upon, I think that's probably the one that I've spent the most time thinking about. What does it mean that the name of Jesus, this one, this mighty God that's come to us is a wonderful counselor. Well, it kind of hit me that his name could have easily been wonderful public teacher. But that's not what his name is. It's not what the scripture is trying to teach us about the Lord. Scripture says that he is a wonderful counselor. And what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, teaching is formal. It's what I'm doing right now. There's a person on a stage. There's an audience. I'm speaking, you're, you're listening. It's a formal <coughs> event. Typically, counseling is, is much more intimate than that. Counseling is usually one-on-one. It's life on life, and that's what the Scripture says Jesus is. He's our wonderful counselor. A good teacher is a, is a good communicator, but a good counselor, a wonderful counselor is not only a good communicator, but they're a good listener. A good teacher, step one is, is to impart a truth and and let the, the people kind of deal with that and, <clears throat> and work it out themselves. But step one for a good counselor is to care for the person that's in front of them and love them and walk with them as that truth is lived out in their lives. A good teacher needs to know something about the people that they're teaching to. They need to know something about their hearts and their lives to be an effective communicator. But what a wonderful counselor is is somebody that wants to know the hearts and the lives of the people that they're with. Scripture doesn't say he's a good counselor. The scripture says he is a wonderful counselor. And church, think about what that says about how God views you. I know so many of us, we're, we're, we're cool. We get the whole mighty God thing. It's how we view God, that he's big, he's other than us, he's, he's powerful, he, he, you know, he, he, judge, he judges the world and, and brings wrath and all that stuff, Old Testament style, that's kind of our view of God. But think about what this is saying about our Lord, that he is a wonderful counselor. Think about what this says about how he loves you and how he cares for you and how he views you. Scripture says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. You know, why did John Piper say that you could spend an entire lifetime pondering the names of Christ? Why did he say that? <clears throat> well, think about this. Well, think about it for a lifetime. Just think about it for a couple of seconds. Mighty God. Mighty God. The God that created the heavens and the earth. The God that formed the universe with the sound of his voice. The God that, that parted the Red Sea and brought plagues to Egypt, the greatest nation in the world, to free his people from slavery. The God that put on flesh and came to this earth. The God that, that walked on water. The God that healed uh, sickness and, and, and made blind people see. That God, that mighty, mighty God didn't just die for your sins. He didn't just come to this earth to be raised from the dead. What the scripture is teaching, that mighty God that was raised from the dead and died for your sins also wants to be your wonderful counselor. I think that's something that you could spend a lifetime 
pondering that Almighty God came to us to be our wonderful counsel. You know, I'll, I'll end with this, and we're going to sing and just respond to that truth that everyone in this room who is filled with the Spirit of God ought to be in awe of, that mighty God became our wonderful counselor. Tyler David said something last week that has stuck with me that I've thought about a lot over the last week. He told a story about how he went to Colorado. <coughs> if you weren't here, he went to Colorado and took his kids and... He said, one of the things that's interesting about Colorado is that you're just, when you get there and you're in Texas, you're just in awe of the beauty of Colorado. You drive in, you see your first mountain, you're freaking out. You're like, there's, there's a mountain. You're telling your kids there's a mountain and you can't stop looking at it. You, you're taking pictures of it. You, you can't get over the beauty and the awe of mountains because it's not something you see every day. You, you walk and you see like a, a mountain stream and you're just freaking out. You're like, kids, it's a stream. And you're taking pictures of it and you can't get over just how beautiful it is. And he said something that just blew me away. I leaned over to Aaron who was sitting by me last week and I said, Aaron, that is so good. And it, it's just so true of me. He said, you know, the, the only people that aren't in Colorado that aren't in awe of mountains are the locals. Because they see it every day. They drive by mountains every day. They've seen the beauty so many times that they've become numb to it. And the, and the beauty of the mountains no longer move their heart. They just go through the motions of life when they're living amongst unbelievable beauty. And then he asked the question, he goes, how many of us have become gospel locals? That the beauty of the gospel is no longer something that moves our hearts. But because we've just gone through the the motions of life that we've become numb to the greatest reality in the history of the world. I just want to ask you a simple question and we're done. Have you become kind of a Christmas local? That, that I, I said that just a second ago, that almighty God came to this earth to be your wonderful counselor. Did that move your heart? Are you in awe of that? I, I want to sing I want us to pray. I want us to bow our heads in just a second. And I just, if, if, if there's anything you could ask the Lord, Christian, I'm speaking to you right now. If there's anything that you could ask the Lord this Christmas season, I think this would be a wonderful thing for you to ask. God, would you change my heart that I would be in awe again of the most unbelievable, amazing truth that's ever been told. That you're God and you came to me. Let's pray. Take just a second and ponder those two names. Meditate on Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. Think about his creation. Think of all that he's done, heaven and earth, the beauty of this world. Mighty God. Wonderful counselor. You don't walk through this world alone. 
There's never been a day, Christian, that you've walked alone in this world. Not once, not one second. Father, I pray today that, I really do ask that for me, especially, for all of us, that this Christmas might be a little different. That when everybody else has kind of become a Christmas local and they're caught up in presents and food and basketball and all that stuff, God, that we would be a person walking around with a look of awe on our face. Because we can't get over mighty God is my wonderful counselor. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you for what you've done. And so now we praise you because you're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together.